came back to meet you. To keep this church in prayer that's waiting the Lord. To, to make it just as John Bernard keeps himself pure and immaculate. And uh, there is this, this woman, Karen Cash, sitting by the leaves, and Jesus comes to her, and he asks her this question on the next slide, and he says, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I love the King James Version. I prefer the comparable dictionary. Um, Whence comest thou, and whither wilt thou go? <laughs> you need to bear those questions in your mind. Whence comest thou, comest thou, and whither wilt thou go? Um, but he comes and he asks her this. And when I was in India, this thing just sat upon me, just, and it's just an echoing of me. And I feel like over the next two weeks, we're going to answer those two questions. Where have you come from, and where are you going? We, had a, we almost had an opportunity to reverse this church. I know some people are leaving Dubai, um, not just for a break. They're actually leaving to start their lives again somewhere else. And what a great time to ask the question, where have I come from, and where am I going? And even for those of us in the mainland, these are the questions that I ask myself as I am packing, getting ready to go on my summer. What has brought me to this place? Why am I here? What, a, what is the journey that's brought me to, as I sat like Hagar in the leaves, and God in His kindness came and spoke to me? And where does that still want to take me? What is still ahead of me? And I believe He asked me to answer the first question before we go on to the second question. And so today I want to look at a few things in the short time that I have left that I think we need to look back on our journey. And the number one thing is our salvation. And I'm actually, the heading I put there is my salvation. I want you to say to yourself, my salvation. That, um, <laughs> I love you looking like that, but that's great. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, more in your heart, but that is great. Isaiah 52 verse 15 says this. Listen to this. And he will startle many nations. And this is the same chapter that the, the one that brings to me. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. And they will see what they have not been told and will understand what they have not one of the, the greatest challenges we face is in remaining alert to as, as the Nicodemus and those mysteries of salvation. And I think one of the reasons why God does church every week is because we, we are prone to drift. We are prone to familiarity. We are prone to forgetfulness. And we come and we meet Christ and we're born again. And, and we were singing the song, um, Calvary has covered it all. It, it's almost like if you sing that this morning, it should change everything. It should remind us again that everything has changed, that I'm not the same person I was before, that, I, that sin and shame no longer has the final say about my life. And so we, we need this reminder that salvation has come, and we need to look back and say, God, I'm saved, I'm born again. And it's been one of my passions for us as a church as we, as we preach through the different series is to um, cause us as a church to think often upon our salvation, to, to recognize that what Christ has done will never be matched. There's an there's a amazing song that we uh, sometimes sing. It's called Amazing Grace. And Hannah gets to play, perform 10 million times a year, which is one of the, one of the most incredible songs. And uh, it goes like this, if you know the words. It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. And it was written by a man, you know, well, you know the story, well, I think John Newton. He was conscripted into the Navy as a young man and became a slave trader, a captain of a slave ship, which probably had most of the slave trade. And he has this encounter with God in 1748 where he, um, 
really dies in a storm in the sea and he comes back on the probably conversion of he still continued in the slave trade for years after that because in uh, uh, 1765 he stopped and he actually went and became a priest in the, in the English Church of England and, uh, but he wrote the psalms I used to sing the psalms to my children in, the be- in their beds because that was a gift from my church family to know that I sing and I sing it well no matter what they do they never knew I was singing right and um, I would sing to them but they don't know what the word lesson means and so I would change it to the word rubbish which made the rubbish like me and it's not like it's not just the point I'm preaching to the other people and say but he saved the rubbish like them he saved the, he saved the rubbish like Chuck or like Bernie or the rubbish like Kenny no no we know he saved us through he saved the rubbish like Dave I, I know what God has done I know what I was capable of I know what I have done in my situation I know what I have endured there is screaming for justice inside of us but yet so often we don't apply it to ourselves but when we open our eyes and see we, we're caught up in the wonder of God's grace when um, when a, someone calls Dedo to preach about who we are as pastors Ephesians 2 he says once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins your many sins and you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil that was Rob Rob once he was free from disobedience he was misled and became a slave to many lusts and pleasures his life was full of evil and envy and he hated other people Ephesians 2 again you were living apart from Christ you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant God had made for them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. And then 1 Corinthians 6, he lists all these terrible sins, adultery and fornication and slanders and all those things. And he says, some of you once were like that. But, which quickly go on until the next life. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of you once were like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. Matt Casado says this, Grace is God's best hope. The decision to ravage the people by love, to rescue captives, and to restore justly watched robbers. Of all His wonders for, grace in my estimation would make Him most precious. It's an opportunity for us to stand up and applaud Him. No matter what you're facing, no matter what difficulties you go through, no matter what's led you to that spring by the side of the road, um, in, the, in desperation, in hopelessness, you have to look back and say, where have I come from? I was lost, but I'm now found. I was an outcast. I'm now a son. I was um, standing in the place of judgment. I've now received a pardon and the grace of righteousness of God. The second thing is that when we look back on our sins, we need to get rid of them. Remember, we preached um, through Esther, and uh, for me, one of the things that stood out about it was actually this truth of sin, and it made much preached up in Sunday, but it, I felt like this had a real prophetic importance to us, um, and maybe specifically for us as Bill of Life, but more generally for the church. Offense is, um, is a sin in the world, and um, you remember the story of, of Naaman, who's, who's back with his family, he's recounting all the incredible things that are going on in his life, he's listening to Moses, to the HR director, Imar, he's, uh, he's got a Bentley and a Rolls Royce and a Ferrari. He's got a, he's got a, a house right next to Sheikh Muhammad. I mean, life is great. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad's inviting him to 
could have knelt and come home and he said, but I can't enjoy any of that while this man Mordecai is still alive. And I spoke about the fact that offense robs us. It, it robs us of a sense of actually to feel comfort in our hands of the Lord. And it may feel like robbery to you, but that's dramatic about it. I want to say I don't think I'm being dramatic at all about it. Offense is a sin. Offense is a killer in marriage. Offense is a killer in the Lord's house. Offense is a killer in the church of Jesus Christ. And God makes no provision for that. There's no way in the scripture where God says that it's okay for you to hold on to offense and hold on to unforgiveness and hold on to bitterness. And um, and I, I quoted at the time this song by Jason Upton called Let It Fly. That it's a it's a holy thing to be wild and free. And as he mentioned uh, when we were in um, somewhere in Africa, we were dancing between Malawi and Mozambique as we were crossing borders. And um, we, I put some music on. The sun was kind of setting. We're driving through Africa. It was an amazing moment. Um, and uh, and this song came on. Jesus said, and that's the song that was preached when he was abused and persecuted. It was a holy thing. It says we most reflect God. We most reveal His glory when we are wild and free. When we are not under the same got to remember that when offense comes to you, you are bound up by the person. You think you're trying to get justice. That person has done something wrong to you, but you are the one that you are bound to. And the way to break that, the Bible makes it so clear. I love it where it says in 1 Peter 3, this is the command to us. Now, now think about people that have hurt you and offended you. And uh, we've, we've uh, this is, think about it in your marriage. When you read the scripture, we're talking about somebody like a like an ancient Assyrian that's coming to attack you and kidnap your children. Think about your wife. Think about your husband. Think about your children and your parents. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate for insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do when He would grant you this blessing. Ruth 11 verse 4 says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. People have sinned against us, they hurt us, we've got every right, human excuses to be offended. We've got no right in the kingdom of God to hold on to that. And if you can do one thing that's going to set you up for, man, where are you going? If you can do one thing that's going to that's going to break at the limitations and the hindrances, if you can do one thing that's going to cause you to be to, to come out of this functional purpose that's going to be the release phase of repairing that thing, you do it. It's up to God to change you. You start to say, well, God, when you change them, then I'm going to then I'm gonna bless them. Well, God, he says, it's not that way around. You bless them. You release them for them. That's my job to deal with them. But justice will be done. That's why the Bible says vengeance belongs to the Lord, not to us. See, vengeance, meaning justice, it's, it's, it must come because God is the one that brings it, either upon Christ or in the next life upon them. It's not our job first to bring it upon people's lives. If offense goes, just let it go, like the ice princess said. Just let it go, let it go, let it go. I, can't, I don't know what I'm wearing, but I don't know if I even should. I'm a man. I don't wear things like that. But Matt told me about it. <laughs> just so easy. Surgery, my TED Talk speech. Just kidding. What have you done this week? You see, what happens when we make mistakes, we do, all of us, we're not perfect. Um, uh, 
what happens often with us is our natural repulsion is just denial and self-preservation. God, God, what can I put this wrong? And it means that I'm that I'm weak, that I, that I that I'm lacking, that I'm not good enough, that I'm I should be rejected. And it's hard. Those are legitimate feelings. Those are not legitimate. They're real feelings. And uh, God wants us to be the kind of people that know you are loved and approved no matter what you do, and you can be easy to turn your back on. And so we need to repent quickly. We need to repent well. Keep short cuts with God's people. Maybe you offended somebody, or maybe you're on the other side of the equation. Well, hold on now. If you know you need to say sorry, but it just won't come out of your mouth, go to the person and say, I'm sorry. And you think like, I've doubted it with every right to shout at me or humiliate me or guilt me. These are not your God. And so God tells us what He's going to do when we repent. And the Bible says that godly sorrow leads to repentance, and repentance leads to life with no regrets. It says, if you want to look back on where your whereabouts come from, as if you have regrets about the mistakes you made, then go and repent. But if you deal with them before God, God, His redemptive agency flows not only into your life right now, but it washes back to our past actions and redeems even the mistakes that we've made. The redemptive work of God can't happen until we allow Him in. And so maybe you messed up with your wife, or maybe you messed up with a child, or maybe you messed up with a friend at work, or whatever it is. Maybe you messed up sexually uh, with sexual sin, or with, with whatever it is. But the Lord can take even that thing that's a mess, and it, if you leave it, it's worse and worse and worse. And God's telling you not only um, cleanse you from the, from the power of that thing in your life, but actually begin a redemptive work in the midst of it. He returns what was terrible into something that is easier to, uh, to, to work through you his blessings into the world around you. And so, um, remember these things, that, that our mistakes and our sin, they alter our identity. Matthew phoned me the other day. He told me about something that happened at school. Um, he had made some rivals school uh, function, and somebody gave him a flat tire and he had a couple of sips of it. And he said, if I just didn't taste it, that's it, Matthew. No bit of vodka in there. So Matthew put it down, and um, the principals, and anyway, the next day, all herd of them are, are pulled down together like that they're going to get punished. And Matthew's saying to me, Dad, I should have warned you, but this is happening. Um, he said, my boy, if you're telling the truth, they don't always approve you. I said, oh, knowing myself and how I was growing up. So if you're telling the truth, you've done nothing wrong, then, then normally you'll receive no, nothing. Just don't worry about it. If, if punishment comes your way, then you would take the punishment and you wouldn't even be, be allowed to touch your food. But this is happening. And um, nothing he does can alter his identity as a son. Nothing. He's my son. And nothing you do can alter your identity as a son or a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and then... If there's one powerful thing that comes from when we do make mistakes, that we can learn a lesson. Just, just say, God, I've made some mistakes this year. What is it that you want to teach me in the next year? And lastly, is our prayer. There's this solid prayer that I spoke about also in the Epistle series. It runs from the book of Genesis all the way through to the book of uh, Revelation. And you know that Revelation is a prophetic book. It's speaking about a future thing to come. And so we are in... Whatever the last book is, maybe Acts 28, um, I know it's the last book, but the last story that we read in those books, to the book of Revelation that's still to come. We're in that Acts 29 story that's being written. It's being written for 2,000 years. We're looking at our, and Revelation is talking about that solid thread still runs through our lives. And this command is not for 12 
extraordinary men. Eleven extraordinary men that stood with Jesus and some others as he was ascended and he gave this command. This command was for all believers for the age. That's the key. So you know, it's, this is the command for your life. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's not, not a special command for some people. It's a command for every citizen. And so you are called. And over the years that's gone by, God has been speaking to me about the call upon your life. And I love um, um, going on the trip with uh, Sita and Nadine and uh, Tomzi. Tomzi blessed us with having these really sweet guys. And, um, and, um, and with Vladimir as well. And I love watching what God was doing as he began to start to ignite the flame of the call that he had. And friends, life, it is, it is, we, have a, we think we have a choice as far as this. There's been some times over the years where um, my wife has said to me, maybe, maybe we should do something else. And, I've, um, and there's times I've laid in my bed and I've said to myself, maybe we do something else. Maybe we should do other moment. I don't have kids. I know mine is 11, 37, and I don't have any grades. It's 11, 27. So Apple Watch and tells me to do this. So I've got three minutes. And I, um, and I would lie in my bed, and, uh, and I think God must be too hard or something. And I thought all differently. God has spoken to me and brought to my thoughts that what God has spoken to me is absolutely convinced that people know what the state of God is, especially if they're willing to step up to the plate. They're willing to do what it takes. Sometimes it's in a marketplace, sometimes amongst our family and our friends, sometimes it's in ministry, sometimes it's in a banking list or whatever it is. But however God calls us, He calls us. And, um, and I feel like God reminds me as I lie in my bed, the reason I've called you is because there's an encounter that you have. And the thing that holds you is the call of God. And I love what um, as Guinness says about the call of God. He says, thus the followers of Christ calling neutralizes the fundamental position of choice we have in life. God has chosen you too. We have not chosen ourselves. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We have no rights to it, only responsibility. Following Christ is not our mistress, merely our responsibility. Nothing works better to debunk the pretensions of choice than a conviction of calling. Once we've been called, we literally have no there in the desert she's um, she's got a really tough choice she says to him Jesus says to her he says go back and submit to your mother and she's she's calling her name and she's slandering her she's probably loading her up with extra words she's, she's pregnant she's out in the desert and she's got to and God says to her go back and then he makes this promise over her that's not even the greatest promise like your son for better the donkey going to kind of get but he's strong and he's not going to be crushed and it's so amazing as we go on and read in Genesis and it's just in, in one of the chapters it says that and so Isaac and Abraham and Isaac and Ishmael buried Abraham and it says that he doesn't just get the father from his house together these brothers come with the other four and bury Abraham his father there and there's a whole nation that comes to them and he says that your calling is to go back and submit to your, your master to your dad and then says this in verse 14, 15, which I absolutely love. He says, Thereafter, Hagar used another name for a servant girl who had spoke to her. She said, You are the God of Jesus. Putting her roots in Sodom's tomb and, and the heat that came and the desperation, a young girl pregnant. Um, a man that nobody doesn't love her. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. 
outside of things that are happening in the sky, God can name that you get started is the only God who's speaking. You're Elohim. If you name that thing, you're Elohim. And that comes up again and again in the, in the, the coming workings of God. This is where you say, God sees me. God sees me. I'm just going through Of the 
Jesus is doing that for them. He's doing it with a reason. If never anything other than that, and yet here we are. A long journey to take, a long day to come. Whatever it is. 